We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to To play fake. Allen, he's got a wide open lane and a Buffalo touchdown. Allen has all day. End zone touchdown. Too easy for the Bills. Quick pass to Brown. Makes the catch and there he goes. Touchdown Buffalo. Nobody home in the middle of that Jets defense and Brown with an easy trot to the end zone. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was CBS Sports Andrew Catalan with the call. Chris, the Buffalo Bills are 1-0. Up top. It's exciting, 1-0. Hell yeah! Way to start this season off. Chris, I feel like this is the most energetic about football I've been able to be in days. Well, Sunday were pretty mad. Eh, mad, but Chris, Sunday was Sunday was different. Sunday was different for me from any other football game I've ever watched at home. Because we weren't there? Folks, we have a packed show for you tonight, including a special guest who's going to join us to close out our segment about the Buffalo Bills recap. We've got a preview of the Dolphins game. We've got a ton of ground to cover and not a whole lot of time to do it. I want to talk about Sunday. Chris... The game, Sunday's game, a great time, house full of people. It felt like normalcy. But in my case, it was a little bit better than that. Because for me, it was my son's first Bills Sunday. I mean, you can see it if you go over to Twitter, follow us at Rockpile Report. 
Much like every other home opener, I was still up at 5 a.m. But instead of helping you dickheads put the finishing touches on gear in the truck and making sure that someone didn't leave their tickets at home or making sure that all of our ducks are in a row, riding the 20 minutes to Orchard Park and setting up our tailgate party under the glow of the stadium lights. Instead, at 5 a.m., I was up feeding my son and getting him ready to watch Bill's football for the very first time in his entire life. And I'm not going to lie. I got a little misty-eyed as I was rocking him in the chair. We're sitting in his nursery. I'm rocking him. He's giggling. We're talking about it. I got a little misty-eyed, Chris. Um, That's not... That's not surprising at all. I've seen you on this podcast cry about Marcel Darius. It, it was it was something. And I mean, Chris, and honestly, when I think back to what Sunday was, the highlight of my day, among other things, were seeing that how even though he's just four months old, Dr. Kyle Trimble of bangedupbills.com sent me a picture that he took from our party where I was holding him near the TV and I was pointing out how run blocking worked and explaining how our pressure was forcing Darnold to run. And he said, he goes, look, Jack is just fixated on the TV. I don't know. I don't think that that was true. I think you were pointing out that somebody was a boob. <laughs> Adam Gase might have been on the TV. We don't <laughs> you know, This guy's a boob, Jack. Look I at do, this guy. I mean, I do want to steer him in a Bill's direction. And if it means throwing shade at opposing teams, I'm not above it. What was it like... For someone who's used to watching games with me, how different was it for you? I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. I had, I couldn't get any. We're ramping up the Drew Gear gift train over on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You weren't loud, boisterous. You were like very reserved and stern. Like you were yelling at the TV as if the TV was your kid and he just uh, spilled a drink on the counter because he's too small to hold the the gallon of milk and he drops it and you were just, uh, just a stern yell and so I, it was more scolding I, yeah I hated mad? I hated every I hated every <laughs> second of it God, you watching you watch football as a father sucks <laughs> Well, you know what didn't suck was week one for the Buffalo Bills, and this is our week one Bills recap. Bills 27, Jets 17. Here's your stats of the game. First of all, you had Josh Allen, 33 of 46, good for 71.7%. 312 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 104.6 rating. Sam Darnold, 21 of 35, good for 60%. 215 yards, a touch, and a pick. 75.3 rating. Total yards. Buffalo, 410. New Jersey, 267. Stephon Diggs, 8 of 9 for 86 yards. John Brown, 6 of 10, 70 yards, and a touch. The Jets' offense from kickoff to 6 minutes and 48 seconds remaining in the second quarter. Four punts, one pick. One first down, 27 total yards, and 7 minutes and 34 seconds of possession. Allen's time to throw from the pocket, 3.8 seconds, number one in the NFL in week one. 
Wide receiver snaps. Diggs and Brown, more than 93%. Cole Beasley, 63%. Gabe Davis, 49%. Josh Allen had 14 carries at 4 yards per carry, 1 touchdown, 2 fumbles. Bills running backs, 18 carries, 2.2 yards per carry, no touchdowns, no fumbles. Drew's emotional outbursts, a big fat goose egg, baby. Zero. You are correct, Chris. I didn't do much yelling. But that's not to say that there weren't some things over there. Things that happened on Sunday that made me, didn't make me want to just reach for a pillow so I could put it over my face and scream profanity. I'm actually going to call your dad to come get your kid on Sunday. <laughs> so you can be kidless for the what? Dolphin game. You need old Drew back? I need, God, yeah, everybody does. <laughs> what? I, I thought I was a disruption. I thought it was a disaster. No. I Are you like, saying I am the entertainment? Well, yeah, when a game gets out of hand, yeah, you immediately become the entertainment. Okay, well, it almost happened before the game even started, Chris, and that's my first talking point of the night. My AJ Epinesa outrage. Yeah, oh, yeah, Greg Trelone, friend play. of the show. He didn't play me. in the game. Okay, and everyone wants to tell me about how this is a great thing. This underscores that the Buffalo Bills have so much depth that they don't need their second-round draft pick to dress for a game. What are we talking about? What are you trying to convince me of? What You drafted a guy in the second round. You bypassed some dynamic playmaking weapons to draft a defensive end. Who fell in the draft. Everyone kept saying he's a bona fide first round talent. Chris, how many other bona fide first round talents didn't dress for their teams on Sunday? Uh, they're probably all dressed. So then why was AJ Epinesa a healthy scratch? I have no idea. We don't know. Nobody. Well, I mean, if you listen to Chris Brown, he'll probably tell you. <laughs> he's got all the info. But, well, Vernon Butler was also. An inactive for Sunday's game, which is a little weird. It was weird, but it was one of those things that I... To me, here's where it stems from. And I know I've heard, I've read all the reports, I've read all the hot takes and the punditry about AJ Epinesa not being dressed. I go back to draft night. Chris, I go back to draft night when I derailed the Rock Sports Network draft night show. When we drafted Epinesa over running back J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State... I derailed the show. I think at that point I just started pouring whiskey into my face and I just yelled you a did. lot. Dobbins, Dobbins went next right after us. And what? I mean, I guess Dobbins had an okay day. Oh, yeah. oh no, look look at that, Chris. Look, he scored two touchdowns. Yeah, two touchdowns. Helped my fantasy team out. So that guy was good enough to to dress and play and contribute for his team, but not the guy we took ahead of him. Nah. Nah. Chris, that point of the day, if I didn't know that my son was going to hear me say some awful things, I'm telling you, if he hadn't been downstairs with me, I would have unloaded. But I didn't. I held it together. And that brings us to the next talking point, Brian Dable's conflicting Sunday. Now, this is something I think we... 
maybe trends in a different direction. There were some Bills fans who walked away from Sunday's game while being thrilled at being 1-0 who were pissed at Brian Dable. And there's a part of it I can understand because what in rage while I was holding Jack in my arms. At one point, I remember looking at you as I watched Dable shoehorn yet another quarterback run into our play calling and told him that if my kid wasn't here, I would already be shirtless and foaming at the mouth. (laughs) I miss that guy. (laughs) It was frustrating to me to watch Allen cough the ball up not once but twice and yet still be relied on to key the rushing attack with designed quarterback runs. And I know I'm 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 not the only Bills fan out there that feels that way. I mean, the whole first half, we watched the Bills running backs combine for just six carries. Well, Allen had 12 of his 14. And they came in bunches. It wasn't like, oh, we sprinkled them in. On three separate occasions, he ran on back-to-back downs. I was having PTSD flashbacks. Like, Vietnam-style flashbacks. Or acid flashbacks, depending on what you're into. To last season's opening day mess against the Jets. Over just the last... Chris, I sat next to Thurman Thomas during our half game, our halftime show at Batavia Downs in his sports bar. Well, you didn't technically you weren't sitting next to him. There was Thurman, then a couple of security people and then you. (laughs) That's a lie. He was right next to me. And I was pontificating about how we needed more running back involvement. And everyone kept telling me I was crazy. And then Thurman sat down and the first words out of his mouth were, where the hell these running backs are and I got up and walked off set like I'd hit a home run like I was Batista and I flipped the bat and I left well I mean let's go back to you know over the summer we had that we tweeted it out at Rock Paul Report on Twitter the your Rock Paul Report research the rookie snaps what Zach Moss I think was what six carries I mean they're not going to give Zach Moss a ton of looks out of the back but then you made DJ Yeldon inactive yeah the rage that I had over our running back usage, it was palpable. But as I constantly try to remind our listeners, this is the exact reason why I need at least a day to sober up, calm down, and rewatch before I can really put on any kind of informative podcast. Otherwise, I'd just be a drunk lunatic yelling into a microphone. Chris, we tried to do that one post-game show after the London game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> London, uh, Jacksonville, and the Bills in London. Yeah, that was not. That was an awful. That was a disaster. That was yeah. We learned to never do that again. So that's it. I mean, it's literally unless you want me doing a podcast the way the father from a Christmas story fixes furnaces, you you got to give me some time. So when I look at it and I take a step back, in 2019, Buffalo threw from 11 personnel. Three wide receiver sets, 78% of the time. And they put four wide receivers on the field together just twice all year. Run or pass, just twice. When we hosted Nate Geary for our camp preview series on wide receivers, we talked at length about the additions of not just Stephon Diggs, but also Isaiah Hodgins and Gabe Davis. And what any sort of positive performance by either one of them could do for our offense in 2020. Now, at the onset of the game, the first football thing you said to me. Four wide. 
was pointing out how often they were running four wide receiver sets. Yeah, that's the first play of the game. I think we went four wide. And we did it a ton in that first half. And clearly, when you look at those wide receiver snap percentages that I just read off to everybody, you were right. There was a concerted effort to run offensive sets based around three and four wide receivers from the very onset of the game and throughout the contest. Now, going back to that conversation we had with Nate Geary, this is what I had to say in regards to four wide receiver sets and why they could be a prominent part of what the Bills might attempt to do on offense. Here's what I found for the NFL as a whole when it comes to running with four wide receivers. Teams passing on a four wide receiver sets had a 26 touchdown to 12 interception ratio. Mm. Okay? Decent. The league average for passer rating when throwing out of a four wide receiver set was 91.7. Yards per attempt achieved was 7.1. You could... With a trio of wide receivers as good as... I mean, we've talked them up this whole podcast. If you can come away with a legitimate fourth option, you now have a more dynamic offense and a new formation that you can trot out there to threaten a defense with because now you have a running back. You just talked about Singletary being engaged more in the passing game. Now you have four wide receivers and a linebacker. As a defense, you're probably going to go with a nickel and bring a safety down in the box, or you're going to go dime and try to defend it with, or you're going to try to put a linebacker kind of in the middle of the defense and put four cornerbacks out there. Either one of those leaves you susceptible to Josh Allen seeing open field open up in front of him with blockers and just taking off on you. All right, that was Drew on a previous podcast that we did. That kind of makes you sound smart. As much as I don't like to say that. It's one of those things that I know to be true about football. And I guess I... So in that way, Chris, how angry should I have been when I saw the thing that I talked about happening, happening in real time? That's... Well, I mean, I think it's, it's a product of us drafting Gabe Davis and what he apparently had been doing in training camp to allow us to run four wide... I mean, it's schematically, it makes sense. And yet I was frustrated because like the average fan in the moment, it's something new and it's something scary and that makes you dislike it. And so with that in mind, I now understand the focus on using Allen's legs. Kudos to Dable for being creative and just trying to take a new offensive approach. And I think now a couple days removed from that game, It's a reminder that for a fan base that is sick of the quote-unquote same old, same old, we're going to have to get used to seeing some things that we might not be used to and therefore we're not comfortable with. This being one of them. Usage of Josh Allen in the same vein as a Lamar Jackson. If, If the game plan calls for it. Think about it. Dayball had a really nice play calling, a really nice series after series after series after series of play calls and play designs throughout most of the first three quarters. I mean, in the second half, it bogged down a little bit. Yeah. I think we took our foot off the gas. But for the most, for the most part, our offense handled the Jets' defense. It was never in question that we weren't in charge of that football game. And he managed to get every position group involved in the passing game. There were 11 targets to running backs in the passing game. They tried to get Singletary on that one for the end zone. Oh, yeah. If he was taller. It's like a touch pass. If he was taller, he would have had that. Yep. 
they get Zach Moss for a touchdown reception. Who yeah. saw that coming? Uh, Jay Spence. Yeah, that's Jay Spence. He called it on okay. Twitter. 31 wide receiver targets. Another touchdown. The tight ends had two completions for gains of 9 and 15 yards. They weren't used a ton, but which I, I thought would be a matchup that favored the Bills last week. But when they did catch the ball, they were impact plays. They both resulted in the first downs. I... For podcasters who rant and rave over the idea that our team has been abysmal for the better part of a decade in terms of passing yards per game, we should probably be embracing the change and approaches that are different when they yield 300 yards passing. Right? Yeah. Do you need one? Do you need it? Folks, Chris. I'll get it. Go get it. I like that. It's like... I make the same, like, this is like the fifth time I've made this bet. The 300-yard bet. I mean, it gets watered down after, like, the fourth one, but I'm, I'm so glad that you finally get to drink a Seagram's on 300 yards. And you had me I, rooting against Bill's receptions because I was like, nope, that, that's not a catch. That doesn't count. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I got to think of a flavor here to, to, to get you. Well, while he finds me a Seagram's that I don't have to drink because he bet me Josh Allen wouldn't break 300 yards in this game, I like what Dable brought to the table on Sunday. It yielded the first 300-yard passer the Bills have had in regulation in this podcast's history. That alone is worth its weight in gold, and I'll drink whatever fruity nonsense you pull out of that fridge. I'm giving you the old passion fruit mango. Jesus it's Christ. delicious. It's kind of orange, like a Clemson or an Auburn type of orange, War Eagle. You just chug that thing down. Delicious. What, 27 grams of sugar? Jesus Christ. That's what you need at this hour. <sighs> Bottoms up. Chris, while I do this, why don't you talk a little bit about the offensive line? I thought the offensive line was amazing. I mean, you heard in the intro to the show on the Zach Moss touchdown that uh, Andrew Catalan kept saying, Allen all day, nobody around him. I thought they did a, a ver, ver, fairly good job blocking. <laughs> fairly good job blocking. I did see Eric Turner, uh, cover one, uh, put out a... Uh, all 22 of, I don't know what kind, you'll have to explain it to me, but what kind of plays where the guards like, oh shit, I don't have somebody to block. Oh no, it where was they, one of my favorite plays yeah, of the they, game and I actually run, have notes on it because I'm also a semi-professional. Allegedly. And then he just ran over and uh, bulldozed Anderson. It was, was one it of the best. Anderson, the same guy that took out Hauschka. There was so much hubbub in the run-up to week one about who was going to play where on the offensive line. And they, the Bills as a team... Oh, I'm still trying to shit. Oh, man, that's Chris O'Seagram's. I feel like they've changed since Bruce... Uh, Bruce Nolan. Bruce Willis tried to make him... Tried to make them cool back in the 80s. Oh, I thought you were going to say Bruce stupid Nolan. Commercials. <clears throat> God. There was a huge amount of hubbub about the offensive line going into week one because the Bills' approach was to just play the game. I mean, you saw 
the depth chart. <laughs> they had three different names under right guard and right tackle. Not telling anybody anything as if they were... They act as though they're protecting the, the missile codes. The Nike-based missile codes that are protecting this country. Sean McDermott was asked about it and told reporters the depth chart didn't matter and that they would just be putting their best starting five, quote-unquote, out there on the field. We finally on Sunday got a look at what they thought their best starting five are, and I got to say I was, I was pleasantly surprised. As you can probably guess from Allen's time-in-the-pocket stat, this offensive line did a pretty solid job of keeping the Jets' pass rusher bay. I've got to admit, I and a lot of other Bills fans were probably a little surprised to see that the lineup that took the field on Sunday involved a new face at right tackle with Cody Ford sliding inside to play right guard, while Daryl Williams, newcomer, new to the team, was our starting right tackle. Not Brian Winters, not Ty Insecki, but Ford and Williams were the two guys to come out of the crucible of training camp and earn starting jobs. People are going to have varying opinions on this, and for me, there's two lines of thinking. First, it's philosophically. The move of forward to right guard illustrates a level of flexibility both by the head coach and the, G and the GM. How many teams have you seen pigeonhole a player somewhere because they say, look, we drafted you to be this. I don't care what else you might be good at. You have to do it. Oh, that happens a lot. It does. Instead, what we watched, because you heard Brandon Bean talk so much about how Cody Ford's a right tackle. We believe he's a tackle. Well, they moved him to right guard. because it's Probably because they listened to Bruce Nolan. <laughs> because Bean believes that that's where he's the best fit right now to help this football team. That's important because coaches who get married to bad ideas or ideas that struggle, those are the decisions that can hurt you long-term. This team needs to make up its mind, though. Because if you think that Cody Ford is a guard, then damn it, you, you fucking leave him there. If they don't see him as a fit for what they need in pass protection at right tackle, then right guard is where he should stay and where he should learn. Last year, we watched him struggle with some of the finer points of pass protection to a degree that he couldn't land a starting job all year long. He constantly rotated with Ty Insecki. And it didn't work. So you moved him to guard. That better be where you're keeping him. And I know there's people out there going, well, what about John Feliciano? I'm not trying to be crass when I say this. I'm just being a realist. Feliciano is a free agent after this season. And he's going to command significantly more than Ford's salary as a second-round pick. Feliciano is going to be trying to come back from a nasty injury for anyone who has to go to war in the trenches every Sunday. A, a torn pec muscle? Your upper chest is used in every motion of every play on the offensive line and in every single technique that you're asked to execute. There's no guarantee that with no camp under his belt, he would be in any kind of game shape to make any sort of significant impact as a starter by the time he comes back in late October early November the Bills should absolutely be balls deep in the playoff race in which case I don't believe it's a good idea to rock the boat on the offensive line and not for nothing he's a free agent 
He's a free agent at the end of this year. You, you're you're not a football savant, but you're not dumb. Doesn't it make sense that if this guy could be a pro bowler at where he's currently at, just based on his physical attributes and his draft profile, if you can get a head start on getting him some experience in that spot, doesn't it just make sense? Yeah, it does. I think they what they tried four to tackle for one year and they didn't like it. So, oh hey, look, there's a pandemic going on and we're not allowing people in at practice or to tweet about what happens in practice. Well, let's just move them to guard since there's a pandemic and nobody can know about it. Unless you're Chris Brown. <laughs> then you know everything. <laughs> right up until you don't? Yeah. But then that leads us to the eye test and what I saw on Sunday and with Ford playing the interior and Daryl Williams out on the edge, Williams, for a guy who didn't seem to, to, to me anyway, have the inside track on a starting job, did a surprisingly good job in pass protection. On the Zach Moss touchdown pass, you can watch him wash the pass rusher out of the play and then finish him after the fact. That guy, was he was a non-factor, and it was part of the reason Allen could stand in the pocket and really zero in on Moss as his target. He was also quick enough to stay with offensive linebackers in their pass rush attempts, but stout enough that when defensive ends came at him head-on, you didn't really see Williams get pushed into the backfield. He held his ground, which is important because we saw Cody Ford win with power, but he could never mirror and slide and finish the way Darrell Williams did on Sunday. That's I've, I haven't seen Cody Ford on tape, look the way Daryl Williams did. And that's the difference of a guy who's built to play tackle and has the finesse for it and a guy who doesn't. Now, that's not to say Cody Ford could never get there, but that's to say that if if that's not your specialty, why would you try to force that, Chris? I have no idea. I'm not a football savant. I love that we have listeners who hate the fact that I bring up your name when I'm addressing you. Well, I mean, a lot of people do that in radio. It's slightly professional, but <laughs> nobody would put you in the category of being professional. I was pleasantly surprised to see Daryl Williams just a win. And even more encouraging between the two of those guys was, like we were talking about Eric Turner, watching Henry Anderson and a couple other guys just get finished. Here's what I saw. I saw a right tackle who could take on a, a pass rush attempt from a defensive end. Stymie him at the point. And then I watch Cody Ford as a guard who, on plays where he either passed off the original man he was responsible for to the center, or who realized there's no pass rusher coming and the linebackers had dropped into coverage, was quick to turn around and help Darrell Williams finish whoever he was blocking. It's nasty, and I like it. I like to see that. There's chemistry brewing there. And I'm happy to see that that was a pain, something that was a pain point from 2019 and a major question mark coming into the season is showing some early signs of being answered. Here's a question for you. I just thought of after six beers. So we've talked about before on the podcast of, you know, like Deion Dawkins being a rookie and then getting helped out by incognito, incognito leaving, Dawkins regressing because he doesn't have that help on guard. Cody Ford at guard, is is there a similar situation with what we had with Incognito and Dawkins, guard and tackle, versus like 
Ford and getting help from Mitch Morse, the center. It's it's entirely possible. I mean, the offensive line, any offensive line, is based in synergy. You all have to work well together. We've seen, look at the Browns. They had Joe Thomas, one of the best left tackles to ever play the game. I think he gave up like four sacks in the course of his career. And Guy yet, was an animal. And yet at the same time, that offensive line sucked for years. Because one guy can't anchor an offensive line. It takes a unit. And at the same time, we've watched teams with mediocre offensive lines do great things on offense. It's if you work together. And what I saw on Sunday was a right tackle and right guard who learned how to work together. And that, to me, is promising. Because we already know that Dawkins and Spain work well together. Yes. Over on the left side. That's why Spain got signed to a three-year deal. Mitch Morse in the pivot, I still don't know if he's an upper echelon center. I know he's steady. I know he's not a liability. He's given me no reason to doubt him. So if that right side can just gel, can if they can grow based on what I saw on Sunday, that gives me a lot of hope for what this team can be as a whole on offense. And as we talk about answers on the right side of the line, the biggest question mark of the day, it was Allen V. This was like a, Chris, this was like a heavyweight, a heavyweight boxing match. Allen versus Darnold three. And Allen answered some doubters. I mean, that was the big question, right? Who was growing in the right direction? Allen versus Darnold. Two young quarterbacks taken just six picks apart in the 2018 draft. Rival teams seemingly at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of experience, pedigree, and NFL readiness. Each of them has teased us so far throughout their career with ability. They've shown flashes of what they could be, and they've headed into year three, having reached the point in their careers where they both have to start showing that they are, in fact, a franchise quarterback. Now, it's been widely debated among NFL fans and, obviously, AFC East fans of which of these two talents is, quote-unquote, the better quarterback. Darnold flashes things like pocket awareness and ability to throw his wide receivers open and high-level play. While Allen, Allen's got heart. He's got the W's. He's got the rushing ability. He's got the physical intangibles, the leadership intangibles. Listen, with a better team, he's the only one with a playoff appearance. That's the nice way of putting it. If you wander to social media, fans of each team have far more acrimonious ways of expressing which of their quarterbacks they think is better and why. Sunday was an opportunity on a shared stage for one of them to take a massive leap forward. Just towards, I don't know, proving their detractors of both the professional variety and the drunken, barely literate social media dwellers and everybody else who goes along with them wrong. Each guy had the equal opportunity. And I think if you look at all those negative stats that I read you on what the Jets' offense looked like early on, we know how that went. Darnold was a mess. He was erratic. He was all over the place. He was difficult. Having Chris routine passes looked hard 
How many passes did you see get the first one that got broken up by Teron Johnson? That might have been the only good throw he had in the first quarter. Yeah, I don't think the Jets' play calling went was all was all that well. I mean, what the Jets went like three and out on their first three possessions, I believe. Punt, 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 interception. I mean, they got a coaching problem over there. Okay, but you have a quarterback who, in one of the more egregious things I've seen Sam Darnold do. He almost regressed because you were talking about a guy who had pocket presence, who had an understanding of the field. He's running away from pressure, and he decides to throw the ball back across the field 20 yards across his body. And it immediately gets intercepted by Matt Milano. Yeah, that was just a straight-up bad decision. But I think a lot of Darnold's overall performance can be credited to coaching. I think Gase is ruining Darnold. You can say that. I, on the other hand, just look at a guy and I say, well, listen, you're, you peaked. You peaked and there's no one around you. That's the fault of your GM. Your head coach isn't giving you any help with the play calling. But ultimately, he shouldn't regress, Chris, in a, in a year where he's supposed to... It's year three. Yeah, if, if Sam Darnold wants $100 million, this is the year where you got to show that you're worth $100 million. And then what he does is he goes out there and he looks like Josh Allen did in 2018. Yeah. That was brutal. It was a brutal day. And on the flip side of things, you look at Josh Allen. Now, look at the notes that I've prepared for you because I have a chart. Oh, you do? Cool. You should email it to me. All right, so I see you have a chart of all of our wide receivers and their targets and their <laughs> catches and the yardage. And uh, we have one touch, one passing touchdown, obviously, to John Brown. And then uh, I guess their longest catch, which yep. I see, take away from that, we have three different players with catches of 20 or more yards. Yeah. <laughs> When I look at this, and I look at our wide receiver stats, a few things jump out to me. And that's the first one. Every wide receiver had a catch of more than 10 yards. Every wide receiver, including Isaiah McKenzie. Chris, what's the one thing I was bagging on him for? The reason I said he shouldn't make the team. Isaiah McKenzie, his jet sweeps and... But I said he was not a good receiver away from the line of scrimmage. No. He showed it. He showed he can do it. All right, let, let's pump the brakes here. Let, Isaiah, let's see that multiple weeks in a row. Three different wide receivers had their longest catches go for 20-plus yards. I don't even know the last time I could say that. He threw zero interceptions, making solid choices with the football in the air all afternoon. Josh Allen, if I look at just the wide receiver chart, 247 yards to wide receivers, 31 targets, 23 catches, and he boosted their games. What do elite quarterbacks do? Uh, they make their receivers better. And what I like to see, and I know there's people going, oh my God, did he just call Josh Allen an elite wide receiver? I know it's early. It's early in the year against a bad football team. But here's what I loved about Josh Allen's day. No hero ball. No crazy laterals or throws to fullbacks up the seam meticulous passing from the pocket. Our offensive line did a great job of buying him time. 
and he did a solid job of distributing the ball and showed a level of passing acumen that I didn't expect to come from him at this point in his development. It is way too early to say that he's arrived, but in the case of Darnold V. Allen, this jury finds Darnold guilty of being exactly who I thought he was when I bet against you in that Super Bowl bet. And for that reason, Josh Allen is this week's hero. Here's the deal, I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. <laughs> when you're the first quarterback since Uncle Rico, Kyle Orton himself, to throw for 300 yards in a Bills uniform, yeah, you're the hero of the game. Those are the rules. That's how it works on this podcast. We could keep banging the drum about how comfortable Allen looked as a passer. Something I never thought I'd be able to say. But the part of his game that he takes the most flack for, his accuracy, beyond his completion percentage, there's this. When you look at NFL, when you look at NFL next gen stats, they compile a list of what they call improbable catches. And while the smart people out there can probably give you a far more nuanced explanation of what that is. Is this, I gotta ask, is this where, since you're saying they have, they have next-gen stats, improbable catches, is this like, is this where it starts for improbable hot takes? Maybe. It's a measure for passes thrown to spots and places and in coverage windows where they shouldn't be caught. I don't understand the mechanics of it, but I know it exists. Someone smarter than me can explain it to all of you. That'd be Eric Turner, Greg Thompson, or Bruce Nolan. And that, so when these balls are thrown to these places where they're deemed to be, that's an improbable catch. And by some combination of luck and Herculean effort by the wide receiver or by the tight end or by the running back, they somehow come up with the ball for positive yardage. When I looked at that chart, I kept thinking about the narrative that others and myself have built up to a degree in this preseason process about Josh Allen needing players like Stephon Diggs with amazing ball skills to bail him out on throws. Yet with over 300 yards passing and two touchdowns, his name doesn't appear anywhere on that list for week one. Not anywhere. That's telling of the day that Allen had with his wide receivers and the play-calling job Daybold did, providing him comfortable windows for him to throw to and him delivering the ball to his wide receivers on time and accurately. When did you ever think that we would be having that conversation about Josh Allen? Probably this year. This year, because, you know, I like Josh Allen coming out of college. <laughs> I liked all of the quarterbacks coming out of, of college. You like Josh Allen coming out of college so much that you thought he was going to make a Super Bowl? No, Well, Sam <laughs> Darnold, I thought he was. But I didn't know that he was going to end up in the with the Jets. And that brings me to my honorable mention. I, I don't do this often. But I'm going to bring in an honorable mention for Hero of the Week, and it's Stephon Diggs. His stat line is certainly nothing to steeze at. I mean, you go back to it, he had nine targets, eight catches for 86 yards with a long of 22. I do like that when uh, I got to your house and our lawyer, Mark Smith, Mark with a C, said that his over-under for catches was three and a half. Oh, him and Are his you- wife won, like what? They won a couple bucks. He had two catches on the opening drive. 
Someone, someone out there was dumb enough to put out a line on under over for catches at three and a half for what? I wish I had known about it. I would have bet a whole paycheck. I would have cleared my checking account <laughs> and bet all of that. His stat line is nothing to sneeze at. But one thing I noticed, and the the lay fan like Chris here won't notice. So many of his catches were dynamic, either because of the degree of difficulty or because of what they meant for a given drive. He had sliding catches. He had he had catches as he was going out of bounds. He catches all over the field. He also had a whopping five catches go for more than 11 yards. And six of his eight completions generated first downs. In traffic, contested catches... He did it all. And he even showed some of that competitive toughness. Remember when uh, Brandon Bean called him a dog? Yep. Said, hey, we we want dogs in our football team, and Stephon Diggs is one of them. You could see it in that play where he goes up for a pass and he takes a shot from that safety, and it knocks him out of bounds. And he takes a second as he's getting up, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, he's hurt. Oh, my God, we just watched Stephon Gilmore get injured in his very first game. And instead, he gets up, quickly walks back to the field, and starts talking a little shit to the defender to the point where an official stepped in between him and the defensive player. Chris, that is a number one wide receiver. I don't give a damn about Odell Beckham. Don't tell me he's Odell Beckham's on the trade, as he should be on the trading block. Because that guy wishes he could have the fire that Stephon Diggs brings to games. Diggs took that hit, got up, and brought it back to the field and was dead set on trying to do He wanted it. I i don't know that I've been this excited about a Bills wide receiver now that I've seen it with my own two eyes in years. I'm glad to see early returns on that trade. I just can't wait to see what it I'm just excited to see what's next. And then that brings us to this week's zero. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Now, there was a large segment of Bills fans that I'm sure would love to see a certain rookie kicker on the receiving end of this award for week one. But I think some of those gaffes are debatable. And it's certainly something we're going to talk to with tonight's guest. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. So, we here at the Rockpile Report have some football-watching do's and don'ts. Don't watch with fans of the opposing team. Don't wear a jersey and tuck it in. And don't celebrate a Bills victory by cooking a T-bone steak and then slathering it in ketchup. Do watch with your closest friends. Celebrate a Bills win with some beef, maybe some cheddar, and of course, celebrate with an ice cold Pepsi. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. 
Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. We usually end every recap of every game with our final thoughts. With our thoughts, how we feel walking away from a football game. But I don't know. Chris, this whole year has been weird. This just felt like this was a cathartic experience, getting real football after the mess that 2020 has been. Yeah, we should have been there. So I think it's only fitting that we end tonight with the final thoughts of a professional. And we we welcome to the show for the first time here in, what, for this 2020 season, Buffalo Bills Captain Reed Ferguson. How are you tonight, sir? Fellas, what is up? Glad to be back. Chris, I told you to salute when there's a captain on deck. He what, can't we, see it. We talked about this. First of all, sir, congratulations on being anointed as team captain for the second consecutive year. I appreciate it. It's a, um, it, it is definitely an honor and uh, something that I, I will cherish uh, forever to be to be player voted um, as a captain. That's uh, something that's very special to me. Um, two year two years running now, so. I uh, never take it for granted, that's for sure. Now, in a year like this where there's so much up in the air, how much does that leadership group get leaned on by some of the other players on the team, especially a lot of the new faces? Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, any year having player-led player led leadership is, is extremely important, especially for, um, you know, the, the better teams in the league, but... Uh, you know, I think this year it, it was important, especially in the off season, uh, just to keep communication with guys, making sure that everybody's being held accountable uh, with their at home workouts and, and watching film and you know whatever it may be. But uh, holding each other accountable and making sure everybody is is uh, in the best position they can be uh, for themselves when, when we when we reported back to training camp uh, to hit the ground running. Well, I mean, it, listen, if, if there's anything I can tell you, what we saw on the field on Sunday, one team clearly looked like the more prepared one. How good does it feel to get that first big W just to get that under your belt? Yeah, um, it's definitely uh, definitely relieving. Um, you know, you always, always want to start out the season – uh, with a with a W, but um, you know we know that it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So uh, the building blocks that we set on Sunday 
are, are going to be important for us for the future. Uh, but we know in every phase of the game that there's always uh, always room to improve. So, um, you know, go, it's, it's important, you know, after a win especially uh, to go back and, and find those mistakes that you made and, and different things that you can improve on uh, because when, when, when you lose, obviously the mistakes get amplified. But uh, when you win, it's, it, you know, it, it, winning can brush a lot of things under the rug a little bit sometimes. So uh, if we want to be uh, where we want to be, uh, you know, potentially playing uh, after week 17 is over, we need to, we need to you know, self-check every week, not just after the losses. Well, one of the things I love about talking to you about this kind of thing, and Chris, when you think about it, Reed has been a part of every iteration of Bill's success that we've come to know under Sean McDermott. Yeah. I mean, he was a part of the Rex Ryan teams. He was a, and kind of the watched. only player left. He, the only player left from the Rex Ryan era. Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes. Ah, uh, uh, okay. He also watched as Sean McDermott came in. He landed a starting gig, and it was a team that had to scrap and had to fight every single week, every week, and somehow inexplicably found a way. And then at the same time in 2018, it, it was tough. It was tough sledding. But you still had to learn how to prepare, and you had to learn how to show up and be accountable and do all these things. And then in 2019, there was a team that, for the most part, I mean, they, they controlled their own destiny all the way to a playoff berth. So you've been a part of every iteration of Bill's success that we've come to know over the last 20 years. And so it's always interesting picking your brain about this type of stuff. How strange was it playing in a stadium with no fans? And you could tell me it wasn't that big of a deal, but I can't imagine what a giant shift it is with piped-in crowd noise. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely uh, different. Um, definitely took uh, a little bit getting used to, but, it, I, you know, it, uh playing the position that I play, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting ready for my, you know, for my job and to perform uh, a snap or whatever, I'm not uh, particularly leaning on any type of crowd interaction. Um, you know, listening to the crowd, I'm, I'm more in my thoughts, but, uh, so, so from that part, it, you know, oddly enough, it kind of, uh, was weird just to, um, almost feel that silence without without a crowd, um, but you know the you know ninety nine point nine percent of the uh, you know other part of the game that I'm uh, sitting there watching and, and and being a fan myself and cheering on offense and defense whoever's on the field you know it, it, we definitely um, definitely miss the miss the fans out there uh, you know and something I like to do before games is, is talk to some of the fans on the sideline and kind of ask them, ask them how their game day is going. You know, it's, I, I know it's important to, um, to kind of create that relationship with, with the fans. So, uh, you know, the mafia was definitely, definitely missed. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely weird and, and it's taking, you know, it took some getting used to for sure. I mean, it, we've noticed it at home, watching it on TV. We see Josh Allen running that touchdown, and then he looks almost to the corner of the stands, like he's gonna go do, he's gonna go jump in the front row, and then he realizes there's nobody there, and he kind of does this awkward thing where he doesn't know whether to spin the ball or if he should spike it, and finally he just like gives up and hands it to Ryan Bates. <laughs> so Ryan Bates 
fucking spike it. And I just, yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, that, it has to be such a huge adjustment. And I kept wondering for the specialists, the kickers, the punters, the long snappers, because the crowd noise isn't imperative to what you do, but you, so much of what you guys do is just on focus. Do you think a part of it may have helped not having people in the stands? Yeah, that, and that's kind of what I was alluding to um, with the, with my previous answer. It's, and and, and it, you know, I don't definitely, of course, um, for all the fans listening to this, I don't want it to come across the wrong way. As, as <laughs> of you course know, not. Oh, no. I, well, you need a golf like experience to snap. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know, that's in my mentally, mentally in my mind, that's kind of what I'm trying to reach. But uh, I, you know, of course, I don't obviously want it to come across as. Oh well, you know some guys are performing better, you know, without fans. You know, maybe they should never have fans. You know, it's clearly not what I'm saying, but um, for for the intricacy of the specialist position, and all this includes all three of them. Um, you know, you, you, like I just said, you you are trying to reach that um, that mental state where uh, you basically are hearing white noise, and you're very in tune with your thoughts and your techniques for every play. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know the best way to, to put that, but, but with the, with the absence of fans, it was easier to reach that. Um, it was easier to, to reach that level. Uh, you know, you know, not having fans there, I guess. Well, I'll say this, Chris, a part of me almost translates that to some of the other jobs in the field. When you're the quarterback, when you're, the, when you're even because people talk about crowd advantage, the crowd advantage, okay. But if there's noise being piped in and it's consistent, it's just across the board, but it's different and it's not as permeating, a part of me thinks to myself, okay, maybe our wide receivers who, when you look at them and you're saying, oh, there's a young Gabe Davis who's catching everything they throw to him, how much does that help his focus? Knowing that there's not a screaming crowd up there that's distracting him from making that play. It's interesting to me. And what else was interesting to me, and it's something that as a special teams captain, I like asking you about. Tyler Bass's day on Sunday. Now, fans were tweaked. Okay, fans, some fans got tweaked about Bass's perceived miscues. I know because I, I went to war with a lot of them both in my house. And uh, as much as I try not to fight with any of you maniacs out there on social media, because I genuinely don't care. That's, that's the great part about being a, a narcissist is that I don't have to care about anybody else's opinion. It's hilarious. So I try not to fight with people on social media. But I had to remind people about the difference in pressure from kicking in college to kicking in the NFL. And I even invoked the name Roberto Aguayo. Chris sat there and listened to me school the entire basement at my house of people talking about how here's a guy who didn't miss a single kick, which is what made him a third-round draft pick, and he shanked everything to the point where he just got cut. When we look at Tyler Bass's Sunday, I see two unfortunate plays that I don't even think are so much his fault. And I want to talk to you about two of those. The first one, and I, I say misses and I put it in quotes, and our listeners are going to see why here in a moment. First of all, that first kick... We've talked about it. It was good. It was good. Thank you. It was a good kick. And I wanted to ask you, either in college or the pros, have you ever been a part of something like that before where a kick should have actually counted? 
that was inexplicably waved off simply, and the only explanation you can get is, well, we don't have the right camera angle to see that. Yeah, the answer to, the answer to your question is no. I've never, uh, ha- I've, ne- I've never had that a kick like that uh, happen to happen to me on on the team that I was on, whether it was the, for the Bills or whether it was in college. But um, I mean, everybody on the field <laughs> clearly saw that it went over on the inner half of the post, um, and and the ref claimed that it went over the outer half. So. Uh, yeah, it, it was. I, I got in his ear a little bit, admittedly. But um, yeah. <laughs> you wait a minute. You you, you got in you, someone's you ear. You can only do. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I mean, you're Mister Nice Guy. Because I was just kind of, you know, it, you know, it's it's. Um, I mean, you got you give you give you give that call to the home team, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have 10 to. Ten out of ten times, anywhere else in the league, the home team's getting that call. So. Um, and, and I'll probably just leave it at that. <laughs> and then on the second missed field goal. Now, we noticed, thank, big shout out to Jeff Landers from what? Where, where was he? Uh, he's on Twitter, no, at he's, Jeff Landers. At Jeff Landers. Folks, go, go check him out. He, he's hilarious. He's a funny guy. He gets at me yeah. and Chris for our things. He he's, sent us a screenshot of the tele, of, of the television showing that it was laces in. Now, here's something that I thought... I thought that the movie Ace Ventura Pet Detective had solved for everyone that when the laces are in, that's a bad thing. And yet people who were watching the football game in my presence said, well, I don't know why that matters. And I almost, Chris, no yelling and no emotional outburst during that party. But there was almost two of them over that exact conversation about laces in doesn't matter. Yeah, we had that I was on like, Twitter. I thought, yeah, I, I yeah. thought Jim Carrey no, saw this. No, and, I, and I've talked with Tyler. It was definitely my fault because I, I, I rarely ever give give laces to Bojo. And um, yeah, I mean it, it's something we talked about. And and uh, no, I I need to be better on the snap. But um, yeah, I mean you know it kind of it kind of caught Bojo off guard, and, and he just left him because it was a relatively uh, shorter field goal, but. Um, yeah, no, that was that 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 miss was was mostly on me. Chris, that's a captain right there. Yeah, that's well, a captain right there. Reed, see now in my head, I'm like, there's no way that's his fault. Reed, Reed's the probably one of the best long snappers I've ever do I've ever watched play the game because you're the only one I've ever diagnosed and like when your father would text us to send him videos of your snaps, it. I've watched now long snapping, and I understand long snapping because of you. Thanks to you, I now get this. Are are you you're taking that one? You're saying that that was on you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How do you handle how? Because you're the elder statesman of the three of you. I sure. mean, because I would expect you, you Bass and Bojo to be quite close, almost like the Golden Girls. You guys are real close, and having <laughs> having two miss. Miss kicks like that. How do you, you know, keep the morale up between the three of you? Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, we we have hung out a lot, and we we have a really strong bond between the three of us. Um, so really, it just it just boils down to coming over on the sideline, talking about it. I knew that it was laces back um, when I when I snapped it. 
so we kind of we kind of just talked about it and and figured out how to fix it and, and went on with it and uh, he bounced back and made another kick so um, yes. yeah I mean it's it's uh, it's all about how you bounce back really and, well and that was my point is that he from that I know listen I, I made the mistake of opening my phone Bill's Twitter apoplectic rookie kicker oh this is what but he rebounded nicely hitting his last two field goal attempts and illustrating that he had composure he found it. And I think that part of that comes from having a guy like you to defer to in those moments. I mean, what was what was your first NFL game like? And then I mean, Tyler Bass, this is his first. He's in the big show. It's his very first NFL game, and he's the starting kicker. And something goes wrong. I've watched kickers. Mike Vanderjagt, you've watched some of the best fall apart after their first big mistake. And yet, at the same time, you guys rallied together and helped pick, helped him f- regain that composure. I mean, what what can you say about that process, and what can you say about Tyler? Uh, yeah, I mean, on on Tyler, he's a great kid. Um, he he is uh, a very hard worker, really, really, really dedicated to his craft, um, and that's kind of the that's kind of the best thing you can say about. Uh, somebody in that position as a rookie um all you want out of out of a rookie you know in any any position is uh for them to you know put their nose down and and work hard every day and that's kind of what that's pretty much what he does but um yeah i mean it, you know in, in that situation when he misses one or two in a game you know i'm i'm uh you know as the oldest guy in the room but also it's special teams captain uh, you know i'm 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 taking it I'm taking the responsibility of, of trying to get him back on track and, and doing what I can to make him uh, feel, make him feel more comfortable, uh, you know, in that in that game situation. Because uh, you know I, I've had not great snaps, I've had not great blocks, you know, just a couple of years ago when I was a rookie myself. So uh, I know what it feels like to kind of feel alone on the sideline. So. Uh, having an older guy there to, to come and, and just chat with you and, and talk through it, uh, you know, after, after you get off the field is, is sometimes is the best the best thing for you. Based on his performance, man, you did it. You helped him break out of that funk, and he found it. And that's what's impressive about his performance to me was that you did. It's it's not about the mistakes you make in life. It's about the way you answer them and how you bounce back from it. And I think that with the support network that this team was able to put around that kid in you and in Bojo, they're just, you guys are great. And I love getting to pick your brain about this stuff. See, I thought it was, Absolutely. I thought it was a decent start for, for Tyler because he's at home as a rookie and then his first three kicks are all extra points. So the, you know, 30 yard, <laughs> yeah, that definitely 30, makes it easy. 30 yard attempts and then, his fourth kick is all right. A little bit more of a pressure situation because you know we couldn't find the end zone, and he had to make those kicks. Which, according to Reed, that one first one went in. That's a kick. That's a yeah. kick all day long. I don't care who you ask. I. That was one of those moments. Chalk it up to my son. Everyone out there can thank my son Jack. Zero emotional outbursts during the football game. That's right, Reed. I know you probably can't believe it either. Zero emotional outbursts during a football game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, any any emotional outburst is pretty 
amplified now with no fans that you you can you can kind of hear it probably more on the sideline but um yeah i mean i I have my moments but uh the kid down in miami is probably a little more vocal than i am well and that's that's the last question we have for you tonight this week week two we're going to miami the buffalo bills going to south beach and you're going to be playing your brother's football team how surreal is it that you are an NFL long snapper? You made the show, and now you're going to go play against your brother's team. You're going to be able to look over there and see the fact that while you have no hair, you're going to see his blonde mop across the sideline. Uh, yeah, be in Hype City. <laughs> How surreal is that moment going to be? Um, I, I mean, whatever the word for the most surreal moment <laughs> is, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's honestly going to be pretty incredible. Uh, it's going to be pretty emotional for me, I think. Um, I can't speak for Blake, but uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be pretty emotional for me just to go out there and and um, see the success that we both had to get us uh, to this point. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, now, I believe Miami is allowing fans into the stadium. So is mom and dad coming down for the game? You betcha. Who, honestly, now have they broken this up? Are they rooting whoever's at home they root for, or are they trying to do the whole even split thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I heard through our family group text that they were uh, thinking about doing a split jersey, or my mom was at least. Uh, but I haven't seen it, so maybe she's hiding it for game day. Uh, but I'm honestly not sure, so <laughs> we'll see. Well, and speaking of jerseys, maybe, maybe jersey jersey of the home team and hat of the away team. All right. And speaking of jerseys, it's customary. You see jersey swaps happen all the time. For you two, I feel like it's the most fitting because you have the same last name. You literally grew up together. Is there yeah. a jersey swap happening? Uh, yes, it is, uh, and it'll be. It'll have to happen under the, uh, the NFL protocol deal. All right, they have to go. We have to go back. Um, uh, go back to the facility. The equipment managers have to wash our jerseys, and then they can send them uh, send them down and, and swap them. So. I'll probably get him wa- get it washed, um, sign it for him, put a little message on there, sign it, and, uh, and 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 they'll mail it off to the to the Dolphins equipment people and and vice versa. Man, I'm so I'm just so happy for you. I'm happy to watch you guys go out there get that big win on week one. I'm happy for you to go down to Florida play with your brother week two. I think this is the start of a Chris. This could be the start of just one of the most epic seasons in Reed's career. Both for his sake and for ours, I hope that's the case. Reed, we love you. Where can people find you on social media and follow your exploits? You're a great follow for anybody who's into food. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's into 26 shirts, you've become kind of a spokesperson for their for their group. Tell people where they can find all your and, stuff on social media. And where uh, they can challenge you at FIFA. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Good luck uh, with that. So Twitter, yeah. So so uh, Twitter, you can find me Snapflow sixty nine. Uh, pretty active on there. Um, Instagram is just my name, Reed Ferguson. And then if anybody's feeling frisky, 
uh, on FIFA. You can hit me up on Xbox at SnapFlow50. Right, you can go follow Reed, our long snapper, on the Twitter at SnapFlow69. It's uh, very bold of him to take blame on that second <laughs> kick. But that's a captain. That's what you do, right? Yeah. That's leadership. I'm, I'm telling you, this team is better off because they've built it around guys like Reed. With that, we're talking about week two, Chris. We're on to Miami. Our week two preview, Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Hard Rock Stadium, Miami, Florida. On the call, Spiro Ditas. Yes, our boy, Spiro Ditas and his henchman, Adam Archuleta. That guy I sucks. Can, I don't think you can even refer to him as a... He's not a professional broadcaster. He... I feel well, like he gets a paycheck from CBS. <sighs> if it wasn't for that, the only thing I swear that paycheck is the only thing saying between him being there and here. He's not good. Adam Archuleta is a bum. But Spiro, I love that guy. Great name. On the crew, Jerome Bodger. Which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for us. I don't know. What's he's, his he's, reffing history? Give it to us. He's very emphatic. He's very emphatic. He tends to defer to defenses. I don't know. I feel like that tips in our favor. The weather is going to be 88 degrees, cloudy, with a 50% chance of hurricane-induced rain. All right. <laughs> I like that. It's not going to be boiling hot. Our boys are going to get down there. Probably going to be wet. Nobody... Hey, listen. Hey, all of those Miami Dolphins fans that won't show up, I'm sure they'll be disappointed. Yeah, well, I mean, they're going to have 13,000 there. On the injury report, for the Buffalo Bills, it's Matt Milano and Trey Edmonds, who are questionable. One with a shoulder, one with a hamstring. But according to Sean McDermott, they're not, and this is a big thing for the game, they're not, they're day-to-day, according to Sean McDermott. Yeah, and I'd uh, recommend everybody go check out bangedupbills.com for the latest information on their injuries. Oh, he's got everything over there, and he also writes for uh, Buffalo Rumblings. Yeah. So you can find work of his. He's got. I'm sure he's going to have information out there about this. For Miami, their number one wide receiver, Devontae Parker, questionable with a hamstring. One of their quarterbacks, Clayton I Chris, what is it with Miami and having cornerbacks whose names you can't pronounce? I've told you before, if you go to the Miami Dolphins website and you go to their roster, you can click on the player and hear the player pronounce their own name. So then can you pronounce this player's name? No, I can't. Not You might have even spelled it wrong. You're not even good at spelling. <laughs> that might have been spelled incorrectly. He is questionable with a hamstring. And the defensive back, Nate Brooks, is also questionable for undisclosed reasons. Probably just butthurt. He doesn't want to go out there and play the Buffalo Bills. So if we're previewing our matchup with these guys, I first look at offense, and I have to ask a question, Chris. Is Ryan Fitzpatrick finished? No, no. Okay. You cannot count Fitz out. His beard is amazing, and I'm sure he does good things on the football field, but he does it while having maintaining an excellent beard. Okay, you say that, but I'm going to run this by you. How many times have we watched Ryan Fitzpatrick go play for a football team, be successful, and then the very next season fold 
like a cheap camping chair. It happens all the time. It's happened it's like with this, the Buffalo Bills. The cycle of fits. It's happened with the New York Jets. Bengals. The Bengals. St. Louis. And now it's happened with the Miami Dolphins. He's like Cinderella in the sense that he can come in in a spot, not be your 16-game starter, but he can come in in a spot, and he can provide you relief at the quarterback position. And eventually he can give you some good games. But inevitably midnight rolls around and he does turn back into a pumpkin. You remember those Jets? We had season tickets at the time. It was kind of, I don't want to see, I don't even think it was that early into us having season tickets, but it was the, I want to say, onset of this podcast. In 15? When the New York Jets came to town on a 10-win season, just needing to knock off the Buffalo Bills, starting uh, nobody's yes. on defense. A.J. Tarpley. A.J. Tarpley with a game-sealing interception, and Ryan Fitzpatrick loses. And everyone says, okay, it's fine. The same team is coming back the next year. And the Jets got shelled that year. Shelled. Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick already started off this season in a similar chain of events. When you look at the game on Sunday, his arm strength was a major issue. The stats show that he didn't do well, but the eye test was worse because you saw him having to put his whole body. People throwing javelin at the Olympics didn't try that hard to throw a 15-yard out. Ryan Fitzpatrick needed every ounce of energy he could muster to get the ball downfield 20 yards. That's not what you want to see from your starting quarterback. And I think it's the thing that's plagued him for most of his career. He's not a strong-arm quarterback. As soon as the Patriots caught on to that, they just camped the underneath routes. And on the quick developing routes, their wide receivers like Ford, Grant, and Williams thrived on last season. Now, in the, it just shut down their passing game. As we all know, the Dolphins had a terrible Sunday. In the Finns community, people wonder if Ryan Fitzpatrick just doesn't like smaller wide receivers because he constantly defers to bigger targets and won't throw 50-50 balls to smaller guys. Remember how we used to talk about Tyrod Taylor, Chris? See it, then throw it. See it, then throw it. What if Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of those guys who just doesn't like small guys? He goes, hey, I know I'm going to throw a 50-50 ball. I don't want to give it to a guy who's half the size of the DB covering him. Was he throwing? Was he in Tampa with Mike Evans? Yes, because I, I he the, had that four game win streak with Tampa. It, the you know how you have those those stats that are just like burned into your brain. I have one from John Brinkus from ESPN Sports Science when Mike Evans came out of college. His catch radius circumference is that of the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So like when you say the 50-50 balls the taller wide receivers, he wasn't who, afraid so. to use them and that's why that team was prolific with him at the helm. And at the same time with smaller wide receivers, he's much more gun shy. Hell, maybe that's why David Nelson had a job here in Buffalo. <laughs> so with that said, he does not seem to be doing well. And I think when you look at the advanced receiving metrics, because, Chris, there's another chart. (laughs) Are you in the charts? 
You know what I'm about. Well, yeah, you've got uh, what are these are all or these are all wide receivers. I don't know. Gasecki's a tight end. I don't know. Are any of these other? When you look at the yards before the catch per reception for each of their wide receivers and their starting tight end. Mike Gusecki, Jakeem Grant, Isaiah Ford, Devontae Parker. The biggest weapons that they had. Outside of Preston Williams, the number two wide receiver. All of them had yards before the catch of 10 yards or fewer. Chris, he didn't throw the ball that well. Everything was short. Everything was short underneath. Preston Williams actually had a 17.5 yards before the catch per reception rating. But that's it. And he only caught two balls. Is this is this not a product of Chain Gailey's offense? Well, and that's the question. Is it Ryan Fitzpatrick or is it Chan Gailey? Because he didn't do him any favors. You think about it. Chan Gailey did... What has he ever really done? Chan Gailey? Chan Gailey. I don't know. Maybe he won a couple of Super Bowls with Dallas. Okay. But he had talent. He can't scheme subpar talent to victory. We watched that with the Buffalo Bills. And yeah. we just saw it happen to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Don't doesn't Miami have somebody on the bench? Oh yeah, Tua Tungavailoa. <laughs> I forgot Listen, he's on hey, the bench. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! He has a weird. He, he has a quote unquote hip injury. Oh, he does. Now that's just them sheltering him from shame. They know what a shit show this is. The fins on offense appear toothless, and that gets worse if their number one wide receiver Devontae Parker can't give it a go. On defense. This run tackling, it leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, I'm not trying to pile on our opponent, Chris, to make it seem like I don't take him seriously, but the statistics in the the eye test give me no reason to take them seriously. I saw the final score of the Finns game. I was just going to ask, because you have here on, on your notes, run tackling leaves much to be desired. Didn't they just trade away Raekwon McMillan <laughs> to, to Las Vegas? Their best run-stopping linebacker. I mean, I, just, I know that they traded a linebacker, but, like, I can't give you any nuanced Chris, information up top. on if if he, Look at you. if he was he was he going to make a difference on Sunday against New England? Maybe not a huge difference, but he wouldn't have gotten gashed the way they did. I saw the final score of that Finns game and I, I wasn't surprised. But when I looked at the stats, I had to admit that I was at something of a loss for words because Cam Newton did literally almost Nothing in the passing game. 155 yards. When's the last time the Bills lost to a quarterback who threw 155 yards? The the Browns game? Probably. The Browns. The one against Derek Anderson? Oh, wait. Yeah, he threw what? 12 yards or something like that? that and they game? won the game because of a muffed punt? <laughs> uh, you know, I just got really depressed just even bringing that up. God. All right, well, to pick it back up. <laughs> Jesus. We can't get depressed on this I'm going to pull myself out of this hole. <sighs> to dig into the specifics of how they managed to do that, you go back and you watch the film, there were some critical flaws of the Dolphins roster construction that really kind of reared its ugly head. The, the Dolphins ran nickel defense. They tried to go tit for tat with the Patriots. Anytime the Patriots had three wide receivers on the field, the Dolphins would try to mirror them with the equivalent number of defensive backs. 
almost snap for snap. Instead of trying to take on their 11 personnel with base defense or trying to go nickel when they went dime, they legitimately tried to go head-on-a-hat football against the New England Patriots. The Patriots ran a 50-50 split, pretty much, for the most of the game between 11 personnel and 21 personnel, which is two tight end sets. When the Patriots ran the ball against the nickels, the nickel defense of the Patriot uh, Dolphins, they had over six yards per carry. That coming, that statistic coming from our friends over at Three Yards Per Carry, the podcast. Alfar Tiaga, he's a contributor to the show. He, he's always featured on the AFC's Roundup podcast. Six yards per carry whenever they tried to match them with three, D, three DBs on the field. When you look at the reasons for that, Chris, I've got a few of them. First of all, it's a new scheme for a lot of these under, uh, these just kind of unrestricted free agent signings and these rookie defenders. It's hard to mesh coverage concepts with the guys around you. When you go out there and nickel, you're assuming, hey, they're probably passing. They're probably passing, which is why there's extra DBs on the field. You're still acclimating to live game speed with real hitting, and then you have them thinking rather than just seeing and driving. They're not familiar with the scheme. Even though they're talented, they're still trying to remember their assignment while also reacting to what looks like a run play in front of them. The Patriots ran the ball or ran a play-action pass on 83% of their offensive plays. That from Chris Kaufman over at 3 yards per carry. They mowed these guys down using their roster construction against them. Their DBs, for all they are in coverage, didn't really get targeted much. Instead, what they chose to do was make them think they were going to throw and then just bullied them. Something that I don't think... I think that the Dolphins came into that game thinking that, hey, look, we can go player for player for player. We're going to match up hat-on-a-hat football. We won't play base when they go three wide. Because we think we can stop them from passing. And instead of passing, the Patriots ran the ball down their throat. Yeah, they did. I think that that speaks to the understanding that the roster construction of the Dolphins not ideal. There's still a lot of holes there. And the Patriots exploited it for the entire world to see. And I think that's another part of this that's when you watch Josh Allen coming off of a 300-yard passing game. You look at that and you go, well, maybe Sunday, what can he do against this defense? I mean, not for nothing, Chris, this defensive backfield of the Dolphins, it's not like they're bereft of talent. We're not talking about the New York Jets anymore. We're talking about a team, there was a lot to be made of the remake of that that secondary. I mean, they made Byron Jones the highest paid cornerback this offseason just a year removed from bestowing that same honor on cornerback Xavier Howard. They have two of the highest paid, I think, what, two of the top five highest paid cornerbacks in football? The system would seem to be designed to shut down teams that want to air it out. And yet, this weekend, because they were so, they had to be so focused on the run fits, they weren't up to that task. And when you look at the chart that I've included in the notes, bang, you see that exactly play out. 
Byron Jones, their prize free agent, 80% completion percentage allowed, five targets, four completions. That Noah Alphabet Soup. The rookie from Auburn that they drafted at the end of the first round. 66% completion percentage allowed. Bobby McCain gave up 50. Xavier Howard, 100%. Eric Rowe, targeted once, zero catches. He at least did his job. <laughs> the Patriots signing. I To get that... Chris, you have guys. Brandon Jones, your defensive back. Three of three gave up a perfect 100%. That's absurd for the money that they've spent at that position. I think it proves that if you can run the ball effectively, these cornerbacks are kind of off kilter. These guys are designed to be able to lay back and let you come at them because they can cover in space really well. When you ask them to do the physical job, over and over and over again uh, that the running game will kind of draw you into it's almost like they get lost in being new to the scheme and they're just not up to coverage and so that brings me to this week's keys to victory wow it's a lot of keys bigger the keychain more powerful the man and the first one feeds directly into my last point which is for Brian Dable keep doing the things that made everybody mad this past week I know it sounds like lunacy, but look at the damage New England did to this team. If you want to beat them, you're going to have to get the rushing attack going. Their DBs, especially the ones on the outside, the ones making all of the money, have an established pedigree of top-shelf performance. That's why they're getting paid. Why would you steer directly into that if you don't have to? Instead, focus on what worked, especially what worked for one of their opponents. Get that rushing attack going and do it in the way that you do everything with multiple wide receivers on the field. Throw enough to keep them honest, but this is a game where our running backs and even our quarterback should be able to pave the way on the ground to keep things moving in our favor and open up lanes for him to pass into, even against quarterbacks who, Chris, I'm not going to say Xavier Howard's bad. Byron Jones, he got paid for a reason. Noah Alphabet Soup was a first-round draft pick for a reason. Don't steer into that. Instead, do what we saw on Sunday and then pass off of that. I, How do you argue with that logic? I don't think you can. I mean, I still question Miami's chemistry on defense with all those changes. They got Van Noy. They got what you said, Byron Jones, Shaq Lawson. They have all these new pieces and no field time for chemistry. So, And I think we can still take advantage of that while they're still trying to gel as a defense. And then on, on the other side of the ball, or at least as an offense, we can capitalize on that. And then as a defense, it's containing the Dolphins' running game with just the defensive line. Fitzpatrick has illustrated that he does not have an ability to air it out. I'm not overly concerned with him testing our safeties. I don't think that anyone from the Dolphins is going to be running streaks down the field and Fitzpatrick's going to be hitting him in stride 45 yards downfield. If I... Chris? Yes. Seagram's bet. Oh, ooh, all right. Seagram's. I'm willing to drink one 
if Ryan Fitzpatrick completes a pass that travels through the air more than 30 yards. All right. All right. I'm not I'm not scared. I'm not scared of his arm. I'm not scared of this scheme. And I'm not scared of their offensive players on that side of the ball. It's just the, the other side of that, though, is that if, if they're going to do anything to stabilize it, it's going to be getting their running game going. They have a ton of young offensive linemen who weren't completely overmatched in their first contest. But they also couldn't pave the way for a bunch of mediocre running backs to really affect the outcome of the game. When you consider the talents that they have on hand, that makes sense. I mean, Jordan Howard isn't a ter- terrible running back, and Matt Breda was okay in his time with San Francisco. What do they really have? Their stable of running backs has less upside than ours, even though they've got five, four, five years apiece in NFL experience. What we need is our defensive line to repeat that week one performance against the Jets. With or without Epinesa. Who? What? I'm sorry. I haven't seen you in a Bills jersey. He, his name doesn't... He doesn't get mentioned again on this podcast until he actually takes the field and does something. I would say I would say you shouldn't mention A.J. Epineza on the show until he proves himself by being your hero of the week. Well, he's dead to me already, but <laughs> sure, I'll agree to that. If you can do that, if you can control the Jets' un- under-experienced offensive line with our defensive line, that's going to free up the linebackers, considering we might have to play this week, even though McDermott says they're day-to-day. Is this a game that you would risk them for tougher contests? No, I would No, I would rather play, like, start Dotson or Delshawn Phillips. I'd rather... Start those guys if I have to rest Milano and Edmonds for the following week against the Rams, who everybody knows Sean McVay is one of the best offensive minds in the game right now. So you want to have the defense ready for, ready for that over the over the Dolphins. And so if we're undergunned at the linebacker position, the defensive line controlling the line of scrimmage is going to be it's going to allow those tight ends to focus on just containment, and also in the passing game, it's going to help them cover the tight ends and slot receivers with the help of our safeties so much more without fear that blockers are going to be routinely making it to the second level. They do those two things. I think this game absolutely goes the Bills' way. And that brings us to our predictions. Your predictions for Week 2. I mean, I don't think that Miami's going to win, and I put that because... They got Fitzpatrick starting. And it's, even if they were starting Tua, it's still too early. I think Buffalo has this one in the bag. I'm going to go that we win this game 24 to 20. 24 to 20? You you see 20 points? You think they're going to score more than the Jets did? What did the Jets score? 17? It'll be like around the same. <laughs> But you don't know. What if Edmonds and uh, Milano don't play? I got to factor in that, too. Okay. All right. I'm going to say that with everything I know about this team, as washed up as I think Fitzpatrick is, I put Fitzpatrick's passing yards at under... I'm going to call him, regardless of our linebacker situation, under 200 and... 215... 
All right. A little bit of an odd number to go 215. Under 215. And I think that the Buffalo Bills, I think they make another statement here. Just to show, like, hey, this division, it's mine. I have it. You guys? (laughs) Your fan base? (laughs) Everything you thought that you guys might be, hey, we're dark horses. Yeah, what did we play that? The biggest of raspberries. Yeah, what did we play last week on the Roundup show? Adam Beasley, Miami Herald. Adam Beasley. Yeah, calling them, like, the division contenders. (laughs) Get out of here. Hopefully that guy's fired today. So with that said, I think the Buffalo Bills walk away with this one easily. Another 20, I'm going to call it 20, another 27 points. Another 27 points. Just because they have better defensive backs. And we don't miss a bunch of field goals this week. Because Reed figures out how to snap the ball properly. Yep. What a guy. Fall on the sword. I love it. 27-14. with a garbage time touchdown. For the Dolphins? For the Dolphins. That's it. All right. That's all they get. I'm excited. I'm excited, but also very relaxed. This is the most relaxed I've felt going into a week two of an NFL season. Uh, I think it's because you're a father. (laughs) And I don't like you as a father watching (laughs) football. Oh, because I'm more focused on my kid? Yeah. Not on entertaining you peasants? Exactly. Well, we can we can fend for ourselves, but I mean, you better bring the heat with this smoking that you're going to do on on Sunday for the game. Oh, I've got it. Listen, we're doing it big, and I can't wait, folks. We've got a full smorgasbord on tap on Sunday. We're going to be back with press conferences after the game. It's it's going to be live. They're going to air over on YouTube. We're going to reach out at halftime to ask everybody their questions. Or even in the fourth quarter. Chris, you're going to yeah. put it out. We tweet at Because we, we can't go live on YouTube because we don't have enough subs. But if you would like to, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search the Rock Powell Report to find our press conferences from last year. I'm glad we're back doing them again this year. They are an amazing watch if you have a sense of humor and don't take things seriously. A lot of shirtless people, a lot of people drinking things, falling off of podiums. It's electric. Folks, we have a great time. Reach out to us at Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpileport 716 at gmail.com. We're always here, but we got to go tonight. We got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Bill's Captain Reed Ferguson. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all of the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 